All right. Hey, this is week one of Starter Pack. Get excited to study some scripture. You guys can take a seat. Let's get after it. On December 22nd, 1992, the Wet Bandits broke out of prison during a prison riot. Now, they're from Chicago, and so they decided to go try their luck in New York City. And uh, this was the newspaper that showed up on the McAllister's doorstep the next morning. They didn't get a chance to read it, though, because although they love going on elaborate family vacations, they're terrible at remembering to set their alarms. So they're too busy making one of their famous runs through the airport trying to catch their flight. Now, Kevin McAllister is one of their sons, and um, although he should be worried about his parents losing like thousands of dollars if they miss their flight, he's more worried about getting some AA batteries for his voice recorder, which every time I see just makes me miss the simplicity of the 90s. And he is trying to, to find those batteries, get separated from his family. They get on a flight to Florida. He ends up on a flight to New York City. Now, this is his face when he realizes it, but instead of talking to the adult at the counter and getting it squared away and the movie being like 15 minutes long, he decides to go live it up in New York City with this luxurious lifestyle of cheese pizza and limousine rides all through the city. He's having the time of his life, except, remember, the Wet Bandits have headed to New York City. Now, there are 8 million people in New York City at this time, but the three of them just so happen to run into each other. And although, and then they remember, of course, that the Christmas before, Kevin had set up a series of elaborate homemade traps that got them caught and thrown in prison, and so ready for some revenge a chase ensues down the streets of New York City. Now, what you need to know about Kevin McAllister is he is extraordinarily good in these types of situations. And so as he's being chased by these two wanted criminals, he stops at a street vendor. And now you're thinking, oh, he stopped to talk to an adult who could like step in and maybe call the cops and get this all squared away. No, 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 no. He stopped to buy a necklace from the street vendor. He crosses the street right where he knows they're going to, to be coming. And, and he breaks the necklace. <laughs> Hold on. He's better at this than I am. And he... Spreads the pieces all across the sidewalk. Harry and Marv, of course, are running. They don't notice it. They trip and they fall flat on their back. And Kevin makes another one of his famous getaways with the fist pump. I have a working theory. I don't have a verse to back this up that Tiger Woods got the, the fist pump from Kevin McAllister. I don't know. I can ask him about that one day. Kevin gets away. Now, there are two different reactions going on in this room right now. I can feel it. One reaction is, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. And if that's you, your only job this week is to go watch Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Don't, don't worry about Starter Pack. Don't read your Bible. Just go watch. I'm kidding. You can do both. And if you're thinking it's too early for Christmas movies, there's no such thing. Yes. Let's pray. <laughs> Okay, the other reaction is, um, yeah, no, I've seen the movie. I just have no idea what this has to do with studying scripture. Let me explain. I think that for a lot of us, this is a perfect picture of our knowledge of the Bible. Like, if all of these represent an event, 
Like, I feel like we know, even if this is, you're, you're like just starting to come around church, I, th- I feel like we know or at least have heard of a lot of the events, right? So it's like, yeah, like David killed Goliath, cool. And like Adam and Eve, they ate a, an, an apple, I think. And like Jesus died on the cross. I think Peter tried to walk on water at some point, And I think like Moses parted a Red Sea. That's cool. It's like we know about a lot of the events, but if we're honest, we have no idea what the timeline is. Like, we don't have a framework to understand where it all fits in the greater story. And this was me for forever. And so, like, I'd hear a pastor talk about, like, Joshua going through the, the Jordan River and into the promised land and being strong and courageous. And I would be, like, all fired up to go be strong and courageous. But in the back of my mind, I just felt insecure because I was like, I don't know where this fits, like, in the big story. And then I walked into a, a seminary class one day. And the teacher said, hey, what if we back up a little bit? And instead of talking about the events, what, what if we just took a while to talk about the necklace? Like, 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 what if we learned the framework of the entire story of scripture? That way we understand where each event fits in the bigger story. And then anytime like Doug gets up here and he's preaching a, about a letter that Paul wrote, we understand where that fits in the big story of the Bible. I think this is why we get discouraged when we set out to study scripture. Because you'll get to reading and then you'll be like, what do you do when an ox falls into like a hole on the Sabbath? And you're like, I, that's never going to happen to me. Like, why am I reading this, right? I think it comes back to understanding the, the bigger story. When we understand this, all of a sudden, all of these start to come to life for us. And so, if it's okay with you, and even if it's not, what we're going to do today is we are going to, I want to tell you the entire story of scripture. In fact, if you're taking notes, the title of today's talk is the story of scripture. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, we're going through the entire Bible today. You ready? Now, some of you are looking at your spouse like, where did you take me to? Like, kickoff is at noon. I like, I can't, this isn't what I signed up for. Let me make a deal with you. We're gonna go through the entire story of scripture in 20 minutes. Now, some of you are still looking at me like, I know this trick. These preachers, they make these commitments about time and you actually have to double it. When Doug makes the commitment, you have to triple it. This is just what they do to keep us stringing along. Okay, 20 minutes and I mean it. In fact, Josh, can we put 20 minutes up on the clock? Don't start it yet. I'm not ready. We're putting 20 minutes on the clock. This is called accountability. It's a big part of starter pack. I'm kidding. Accountability, 20 minutes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We ready? Let me real quick before you start the clock, here's what we need to do. Everybody picture a filing cabinet in your mind right now. Filing cabinet with five drawers in it. If that reference is too outdated for you, uh, like a tool chest with five compartments, golf bag with five pockets in it, whatever, whatever object works for you. Just a, a, a filing cabinet with five drawers because what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you this story in five chapters. And so as we work our way through this, I want you to um, remember, like, like as we go through part one, just pull that first drawer out in your mind and put all of that into creation and then we'll move on to number two, number three, number four, and 20 minutes from now, we'll be in number five, and you will have a framework for the entire story 
of Scripture. Turn to your neighbor and say, that sounds like time well spent. And turn to your other neighbor and say, I can concentrate for 20 minutes because I'm an adult. Uh, Speak it into existence. Stretch it out, thinking caps on. All right, Josh, start the clock. Here we go. Genesis chapter one, verse one says this, in the beginning, God. Let's stop right there. In the beginning, before you, before me, before any business that you've ever tried to start, before any relationship that you've ever had, before any drama in your life, before any pandemic, before any polarization, before any of that God was. Let's take a moment before we go any further and remember that. Jesus said it this way, before you were, I am. God was in control back then. He's in control now. In the beginning, God. Let's keep going. In the beginning, God created. Stop again. You're like, hey, there's 66 books in the Bible. There's 31,000 verses in the Bible. There's over 700,000 words in the Bible. We got through five. That is 19. We only have 19 minutes left. I got this, okay? First page is really important. We'll start speeding up. But these first five words teach us something really important, right? Teaches us about this God. This God is a creator, That's why our our first uh, part, our first chapter is called Creation. Genesis 1 and 2 tell the story of God creating the universe. And if I may, he did a very, very, very good job. And it takes you through this, this, um, this structure that is, uh, you'll, you'll see it as you read it this week. It says, and God said, so he speaks it, and it was so, and then it says, and God saw that it was good. So I was, um, I officiated a wedding on Friday night in San Clemente in California, so I got to, to surf that morning, and I was out in the water in the Pacific Ocean looking around, just mesmerized by everything, thinking, like, God, this is good, right? Like, amazing. And then, in chapter or in uh, the the next verse, in day six, it, it, like the whole structure stops, and it says, "And then He creates human beings, you and me, in His image." And then it says, "Oh, this is really good." So, in case you need some encouragement today, Pacific Ocean, good. You, really good. Hey, next time you look in the mirror, let's be careful how we talk about God's craftsmanship. God calls you really good. Do you say the same thing to yourself? Hey, and next time you want to slander or gossip about another human being, let's remember that God also calls them really good. Image of God, imago Dei. So the the Latin phrase, you'll hear us use the, the phrase, we want to be advocates of the imago Dei around here. We want to call out the image of God in everybody. For more on that, check out Echoes of Eden, available now in the lobby. We got to keep moving, guys. So, so Genesis 1 and 2 tells the story of the creator creating creation and calling it really good. And then he creates us and he says, okay, now I want you to build and take this place somewhere. And, and, and humans lived in perfect unity with each other, with all of creation, and then with the creator. Now you may be thinking, well, that's not my felt experience. Exactly, because that only lasted for two chapters. In Genesis 3, everything falls apart. We're going to call our next uh, drawer in our filing cabinet the fall. 
This is going to be Genesis chapter 3 through chapter 11. I used to teach this as Genesis 3 all the way through the end of the Old Testament. I think that's totally legit, but I like to add a a fifth one now. So Genesis 3 through 11, I think, tells the story of really the entire Old Testament just in in a few chapters. You guys know the story, but let's read it together. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Jump down to verse four. It says this, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So the lie from the beginning was, was God, God placed us here and said, hey, I know the way for humans to flourish. And if you would just say, thy will be done, then, then things are going to go really well. But we as human beings traded thy will be done in for my will be done. I think I know better than the creator. So I'm going to do things my way. And before you get too hung up on the the story and the logistics of it, may I just say I feel that we have been doing the same thing for generation after generation after generation, right? Like this story gives such profound insight into the human experience that pride and saying not thy will be done but my will be done is the thing that keeps us falling apart now they eat of the the fruit and within one generation uh cain murders abel so like murder is introduced real quick and then from there everything just falls apart very very quickly leading all the way up to genesis 11 where they're in babylon which is a a theme throughout the entire old testament and they they come together and they go hey let's make a great name for ourselves like let's build something to make our name great and it doesn't go well so by the end of Genesis 11, we get this story of like, okay, God creates this, it's amazing, and human beings just keep messing it up. What's going to happen? Then Genesis 12 starts a brand new story. We're gonna go to our part three now. This is going to be Israel. A brand new story, I preached on this a few weeks ago, that starts with God making a promise to a guy named Abraham, where he says, hey, through your family and your descendants, I'm going to make a great nation through you. Let's read it together. Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Notice what's happening here. A chapter before, we can make a great nation for ourselves. God's going, if you just listen to me, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples of the earth. This is, this is God's plan. All peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But if you know the story, they, they set out and they go and there's a couple of like bright shining moments and then a whole lot of not so great. There's a couple moments where they say, thy will be done. There's a whole lot of my will be done. And all the thy will be done moments are great. All the my will be done moments end up. In fact, like in tragedy, you you see this cycle very, very clearly where it's like things are going great. They worship God. And then things are going so well that they start to go, well, I think I can do this on my own. And they get their eyes off God and then things fall apart. 
until they finally turn back and repent and cry out, God, would you help us? And God is faithful to restore them. But then things are going well that they go, I think we got this now, right? And on and on like ad nauseum, this cycle just goes all throughout the Old Testament over and over again. At one point, God um, gives them the law, call it the Mosaic Covenant, 613 laws. That's where the, the ox falling into the pit on the Sabbath comes from. And what's, what's interesting about that is like one of those, for example, is like honor the Sabbath, right? Like six days on, one day off. Well, Genesis 1, that's just baked into the creation story. That's not God saying like, here's the rule and you have to follow it. It's just there right? Because God is hoping that as human beings, we'll just understand and we'll just pick up on that. But because we don't, then you see generations later, God going, well, okay, I guess I have to make this a rule for you to follow. Every parent understands this. Like, wouldn't it be great if you just, if your two-year-old was just like, I know sugar should just be like a gift that we should like enjoy in moderation, but it's bad for me if I eat too much, and so I'm just going to pace myself. Like, wouldn't that just be so much better? But instead, like, if you leave, if you take one of those dozen of donuts out there and like leave them alone in a room for a couple minutes, like, it's gonna get crazy, right? And so you see God just like, I, I wish my people would just, just understand this, but instead I have to give these guardrails for them. And you see human beings try to keep those laws and just falling short over and over and over again. And the entire Old Testament uh, is, and, and by the way, then things fall apart. Israel be, ends up splitting north and south. The northern kingdom gets taken away into uh, Assyria, the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. Babylon is the place where we keep ending up when we say, my will be done. That's where um, our boy Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we preached about a a couple of weeks uh, ago, comes into play. Taken off into Babylon, eventually back into the promised land, but still just like we need a different plan. The entire Old Testament is, is foreshadowing the event that is to come where we go. It's not gonna be like us as human beings, we keep falling short. We need a different type of human. We need a savior to come and save us. Get to the end of Malachi 4, we turn our Bible and it's just one page, but that's 400 years of silence where the Israelites are just like, what, are, what on earth are we going to do? You turn your page to Matthew chapter one and the greatest plot twist of all stories that have ever been told happened where an angel appears to a young virgin named Mary and says, hey, we're going to radically change the game. God steps out of heaven, takes the form of a man to show us how to be human. That leads us into part four, which is the savior. Years ago, when Doug and Ian and I were just getting into our, our faith, as Doug said, we would show up to this Thursday night group that Brandon would lead, and, and all the time he'd be like, guys, this is the gospel, and we'd be like, eh, I kind of get it. One night, I don't know if you remember this, Brandon, you were somebody, Kevin maybe, I don't know, told a story, a parable, and it sank in for us. Said this, this is a parable that's been told many times in many different ways. A farmer in the Midwest is out, he has a, has a giant barn and a winter storm comes through the land and he looks at the birds and he has compassion for them because he knows if they stay out here all night, they're probably going to freeze. And so what he does is he leaves his barn door open for the birds and he wants them to fly in. But of course, they don't understand that and they don't know 
if it's safe, and he's trying to figure out a way to communicate to the birds to come into the barn, but they don't. The next night, he opens the door again, but they won't fly in. The next night, he opens the door again. He's waving them in. He's doing everything that he can, and he can't communicate, can't get through to the bird. So as the story goes, he, the next night, opens the door and finds himself wishing that he could become a bird so that he could fly into the barn and show them the way to thrive, the way to safety. And as the story goes, that's the moment that he finally understood the gospel. He walks back to his house realizing what God did for us as he over and over again tried to communicate the way to human flourishing and since it couldn't get through to us, says, I'm going to come for them. I'm going to humble myself and become a human so I can teach them how to be human beings. Jesus comes on the scene to teach us how to be human, and, and it is the most subversive and different way of living that, like, like it shocks everybody, right? Like, let's read a few of the things that, that Jesus said. He would say things like this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How are we doing with that one? Hey, when's the last time you prayed for that person at work that, that drives you nuts? And not pray that like God would strike them down, but like pray that God would bless them. <laughs> and that they would thrive and pray that their family would be blessed and pray that they would get a promotion. Jesus goes, Jesus flips the whole script on us. Pray for those who persecute you. How about this one? Don't worry about tomorrow. Hey, when you stop saying my will be done and start saying thy will be done, when you stop trying to build your kingdom and start trying to build God's kingdom, all of a sudden you don't have to worry about tomorrow anymore. Anybody worried about Monday? I am. I've got stuff tomorrow, you know? I had to, right before I came up, I had to like do my whole thing where I surrender it and like, no, just be present here, right? Because I'm trying to get this, but it's hard for me, but I'm following Jesus, so I'm trying to learn the way of Jesus, he comes on the scene and he says things like, hey, if you wanna be great, learn how to serve. If you wanna be first, learn how to be last. I feel like we hear that sometimes and we're like, oh, I know how to trick God. I'm just going to serve a bunch and pretend to be super humble, but I'll have my fingers be like crossed behind my back the whole time and God will think that I'm super humble and then he'll exalt me. But what Jesus is saying is, oh, don't pretend like you don't do that. What Jesus is saying is, hey, when you fall in love with serving, when you fall in love with just building God's kingdom, all of a sudden you realize that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to show the world that you're enough because you realize you already are enough. You already belong. You already have a seat at the table. Matthew, you already have a seat at the table. Come on. Zacchaeus, you already have a seat at the table. Come on. Mary, you already have a seat at the table. Come on. I was flying home last night and I had a song going and I was writing that part of it and I started crying and the, the lady next to me just leaned over. She goes, hey, are you okay? I'm like, oh, sorry, doing this like Bible in 20 minutes thing. She's like, what? <laughs> I'm on the clock, guys, come on, stay focused. Jesus comes to, to remind us that we already are enough and then in the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen, he lays down his life so that we can go free. Paul later wrote about it and he said this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's leave that up for a second, Josh. 
God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. Because all of us, let's be real, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. If you're like me, it happens all the time. We all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus goes, what if I came in, lived the perfect life, then laid down my life so that all of you can go free, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the invitation on the, the table for you today. You start following Jesus. You lay down your life and you go, hey, uh, religion is all about all these things that we have to do and I'm not very good at doing them. Great, Jesus says, I already, do, I already did those for you. I already took care of that for you. Just, 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 just be humble enough to say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. The Bible says that, that Jesus made the great trade so that we can go free. And then he didn't stop there. He brought his disciples up to a hill after he goes to the cross and, and um, defeats death. Three days later, he brings his disciples together and says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them like we're about to do in a couple of weeks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He goes, hey, go and do likewise. So that takes us to our fifth chapter, new creation. The Bible starts in a garden, Genesis 1 and 2 with creation. It ends with new creation where the rest of the story is leading us toward the end of the story where God puts all of this back together. In the meantime, he says, hey, Red Rocks Austin, you have a part to play in this story. I want you to go make heaven more crowded. I want you to go make earth more whole. I want you to go teach people the way of Jesus. I want you to, to go teach people how to love their enemies. I want you to lead by example and show them how to pray for those who persecute you. I want you to learn how to be a non-anxious presence so that you can go teach other people how to be a non-anxious presence. Don't worry about tomorrow. I want you to lead by example by serving. Instead of trying to make a name for yourself, try to make Jesus' name beautiful. And that's what we do together as a, a church on this side of eternity, we work toward the end of the story. Throw up Second uh, Corinthians real quick, Josh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What Jesus did for us, now we get to turn around and do for others. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In case you're wondering what your purpose is in life, go and do likewise. Now, there are a million different ways to do that. And we each have our own unique gifts and passions and ways to go make heaven more crowded and earth more whole, but that's our job. And it all leads up to the end of the story, Revelation 21, which says this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First set heaven and the first earth had, had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place 
is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them, be their God. Get this, this is, this is what's coming for us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's what's coming for us. We find ourselves in the middle of this story, working to usher in the end today through loving people, making heaven more crowded, earth more whole. And that is the story of scripture. Now. Um, I left a ton out. <laughs> and you Bible scholars out there are like, what? Tabernacle, you know? I know, priest. I know, there's so, there's so much there. Um, you can, and I would invite you to spend the rest of your life diving into this story more and more and more. It has so many layers to it. And the more that you read it, the more beautiful it gets. It's kind of like um, acquired taste with, with food. Remember um, a little while back, we were over at Doug's house and he was uh, grilling a steak. He's getting really good at making filet mignon. Preaching and filet mignon, those are so much more. But then he, he made Will, his three-year-old, dino nuggets. Now, let's be real, we love dino nuggets. This is not, I'm not hating on dino nuggets. I'm just saying it's not filet mignon. But Will needs some time, right? His taste buds needs some time. It's an acquired taste for him. So we need to start him small and we'll work his way up throughout the course of his life. Reading scripture is the same way. The more that you read it, the more that you meditate on what scripture is saying, it's like you realize more and more and more. Like my goodness, last night, I've gone through this so many times. Last night on the plane, I start breaking down again because this is what happens, man. It's just, this is the most beautiful, compelling story that I think has ever been told. I would say that every other story is just a shadow of this story. And so dive into it this week. That starter pack is going to help you go through the story of scripture in greater depth. And take 10 minutes a day this week to really lock in this framework for the story of scripture because next week we're going to come back and learn how to zoom in now on one passage, on one psalm, on one story. Now that we understand the necklace and where it fits, we're gonna learn how to meditate on the one. And if that word trips you up, meditate. I just got it from scripture. So relax, be here next week. We're gonna talk all about it, but we're gonna learn how to look at these stories from different angles and allow like the writer of Hebrews says for the word of God to be like that double-edged sword that pierces through our hearts and transforms our lives. So next week's going to, to be a lot of fun, but this week we get this opportunity to get our eyes up off of ourselves, off of our own kingdoms and onto God's kingdom and remember and worship the God that, this, that the story of God, that the Bible writes about. So whatever you, else you have going on in your life this week, whatever else you have going on in your life this afternoon, whatever fantasy football implications are waiting for you and all of that, you have a couple of moments right now. Ethan manages our fantasy football team at Red Rocks and he's the best ever at it. So that's, we love you for that, man. You do other things really well too. 
whatever else is going on in your life, we have a few moments to get our eyes off of that. And remember this beautiful name that is God. One of my favorite Bible scholars, Tim Mackey, says that the whole Bible is one unified story that all points to Jesus. All 66 books written by 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years tell one story woven together beautifully for all its complexity is woven together beautifully to tell one story. The story of God's ferocious love for you. The story of a, a God in heaven who said, I love my son, I love my daughter so much that I want to teach them and show them how to be human. And then I'm going to go make a way for us to have a relationship together forever. And I'm going to defeat death once and for all. So make no mistake uh, about it. What, what the story of scripture teaches me is that tomorrow doesn't have to be like it was today. There's always a new day just, 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 just beyond the river bend. Uh, sorry, I make jokes at inopportune times. Tomorrow doesn't have to be like it was today. Hey, how about this? Even the worst relationship can be mended. Even the strongest addiction can be broken because our Savior is named Jesus and death could not hold him. So would you guys stand up to your feet with me? Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for your story. God, we thank you for the, the story of scripture. And as we sift through all of this intellectual stuff, may we not forget to make right now the transition from the head intellectual knowledge down into our hearts. In fact, right now, would you, would you just put your hand over your heart? We just talked a lot about uh, intellectual stuff, but sometimes that journey from the head to the heart can take a little bit of time. So Father God, right now, we pray that your word would sink into our hearts. Lord, would it be like that double-edged sword that, that, that pierces through all the other stuff, all the other insecurities, all the other uh, worries that we have in our life and reminds us that you love us. So right now, all across this room, I pray that the gospel would penetrate even the darkest places of our hearts, that we would walk out of here changed, ready to go love our enemies, to go pray for those who persecute us, ready to be a non-anxious presence everywhere we go, ready to go make heaven more crowded and earth more whole. In Jesus' name.